The New Testament reading is taken from Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 11. This can be found on page 980 in the Bibles in the chairs. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of, our, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer and your love that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God here ends the New Testament reading and if I haven't had the chance to meet you then uh, let me introduce myself my name is Ken Matthews and I'm the minister based here at St. Joseph's Church it's great to see you out This afternoon. And you join us, as Ben says, as we start this new series digging into the book of Philippians under the title The Joyful Life. So we're asking, what does it look like to live a life full of joy? Well, let's pray and then we can take the first few steps in finding out the answer to that. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you so much that you sent Jesus so that we might have life and have it to the full. Help us as we open your word up this morning to see how that can be in a world full of trouble, stress and heartache. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been looking forward to something so much that you haven't been able to think about anything else? Might be an up-and-coming holiday, for instance, that might be on your mind. Or maybe it's a special event, like a birthday or an anniversary. Or maybe it's just the end of a really stressful, busy, pressurized period of life. The end of exam periods were always like that for me. I couldn't wait to get to the end. But what about you? What have you looked forward to? What are you looking forward to? My eldest daughter Lucy went to her best friend's birthday party yesterday. Trampolining in the morning, fast food for lunch, and then a sleepover um, overnight uh, to boot to finish. It's great being a kid, isn't it? I'm so jealous. Kids get to have all the fun. But what was she like on Friday night before she went as I tucked her into bed? Daddy? I'm going to Emily's party tomorrow. 
I am so excited. I just cannot sleep. And as I looked into those blazing eyes and that beaming face, I thought to myself, here is a young girl who has either had too much chocolate today or who is going to a really great party tomorrow. And if you're looking forward to some future event, that's how you feel, don't you? You're happy, you're excited, you're buzzing. How you feel is being directed not by how things are in the present, the here and now, but how they're going to be in the future. It's the future that shapes how we feel and how we act in the here and now. Well, as we open up this book of Philippians, we find a guy called Paul writing, to, writing a letter to a church in the Greek city of Philippi in around 60 AD. And he writes because he wants his Christian friends there to feel joyful. Why? Well, because Paul was a smart guy and God had helped him to understand two things about life. Number one, the life on planet Earth is really, really tough sometimes. But number two, that if we stick with God, then the future will be unbelievably brilliant. So he writes this letter to encourage them and us too to look forward to God's future in a way that will transform our present difficulties and doubts. So we won't stop thinking about it, won't stop talking about it, won't stop rejoicing in it. And the starting point for that joy is thankfulness. Do you see that there in verse 3? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And in these 11 short verses, he thanks the Lord for what he has done, for what he is doing, and for, for what he will do. Do you get that? The past, the present, the future. What God's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. Can there be anything more important in your life and mine this afternoon than that? Without knowing that, our lives just don't make any sense, do they? So let's have a look at the first of those thank yous. As Paul says, thank you firstly for the work the Lord has done. And what is the work the Lord has done? Well, let's rewind back to verse 1 and see if you can spot it. What has he done for the Philippines? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the work the Lord has done? Answer? Well, look what they're called here. All the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. They're saints. Really? I don't know what you think of when the word saints gets mentioned. What comes to mind? My mind immediately thinks of some old dead blokes or Southampton Football Club, otherwise known as the Saints. Or handbags, especially if they're designed by Yves Saint Laurent. This guy, if you're old enough to remember who he is, or St. Joseph's Church even, or St. Margaret's down the street, or St. James's up the hill, or there's various other saint churches that we could go into, but we haven't got time this afternoon. But I would never really think of a real-life, living, breathing person that I know. Would you? Because the word saint here means set apart or wholly separate. It's from this word that we get the word holy in the Bible. As the idea of this word expresses 
someone or something belonging to a different order of things or living in a different sphere. And that's a God thing, isn't it? God is from a different order of things, a different sphere, if you like, but we aren't. God is holy, but we most certainly are not. So as Paul is writing to this poxy little church at Philippi, why does he address them as saints? Well, it's no accident. He could easily have addressed his letter to the Philippians. Love Paul. But he didn't. Because he is not concerned with what they are by nature in the world. But who they are by grace in the sight of God. As saints are not a special group of wonderful Christians who are way better than us mere mortals. No, they're people who, can you see it in verse 1? They're people who are in Christ Jesus. Brilliant, of course. But how do you get in Christ Jesus? Well, not on the basis of anything we do, but purely on the strength of what Christ has done. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves saintly or to make ourselves more acceptable to God or, or like God. But God still wants to grab hold of us and make us more like him in Christ. It is in Christ that God calls us to himself. It is in Christ that he saves us from sin, dying the death that we deserved. It is in Christ that he washes us clean and makes us fit for purpose. It is in Christ that he makes us secure in him and gives us everything we need to be set apart and declared holy and to be part of his people forever. The Bible tells us that if you or I, are in Christ Jesus, then we are a saint. It's not on the basis of anything you do, but all on the basis of what Christ has done. And all we have to do is to turn to Christ, believe in him, confess our sins, and entrust our lives to him. And the minute we do that in God's eyes, we are saints who are in Christ Jesus. And that changes everything. Fern and I had the privilege of being in Australia and New Zealand a number of years back, and I have to say to you, it was absolutely gorgeous. So much so that um, we still talk about it now, and, and we sometimes get the photos out and have a look through them, particularly when it's kind of April and you're looking outside and it's still gray and cold and drizzly in Newcastle. And when we do talk about it, Jamie pretty much always asks, Daddy, was I there? Because nowhere in the photos are there any signs of him. And I will always say, yes, yeah, you were there, Jamie. Which confuses and slightly annoys Lucy, our eldest, who is very proud of the fact that she was the only child born to us at that point and is the only one who is visible in all of the photos. But my answer is still true. Because even though he hadn't been born yet, Jamie was, as I'm sure you're now kind of figuring out, there in his mummy's tummy. And that's why one of his middle names is Sydney. No, it's not. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not. It's not. So you could say, though, that he was there in mum. And because he was in mum, wherever she went, he went. And whatever she did, he did. And whatever she ate, I guess he ate too. 
And it's like that for us if we are in Christ Jesus, apart from the eating bit. We can go where Christ goes and do what Christ does. So where can Christ go and what can Christ do? Well, he can enter the very throne room of heaven and talk to God his Father about anything and everything. And if we are in Christ Jesus, so can we. He can face down the devil's temptation by remembering God's promises. And if we are in Christ, so can we. He can rise from the dead and live forever in perfect glory. And if we are in Christ, so can we. So the question this afternoon is, well, are you in Christ? And if you're not, let me invite you in this afternoon. Better still, in fact, Christ, Jesus himself invites you in. Maybe today is the day to, to, to say yes to that invitation. This little booklet here, Why Jesus, gives you a little bit more information uh, about that. So do grab one of them from the display racks on the way out there at any of the exits, and you can read a bit more about that. Or perhaps it might be helpful to you to come and chat to myself or Ben about that at the end of the service. That's Paul's first thank you for the work that God has done in making the Philippian saints. Secondly, here is the work the Lord is doing. What is God doing amongst the Philippians? Well, let's dive back in at verse 6. As Paul gives thanks for the Philippians, he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, God finishes what he starts. God is at work in the Philippian church to make them what he set them apart to be. And that is what I believe that God is doing amongst us here at St. Joseph's too. Now I realize that some of us in, for some of us in this room, that thought terrifies us. <laughs> it terrifies us because we're not sure that we can trust God to change us. God at work in me? <laughs> what is he going to change me into? A Jesus freak? Ah, no! Well, can I tell you from a distance that I know probably enough of you well enough by now to say that you need as much help as you can get. No offense. (laughs) And can I say that quite a few of you know me well enough to know that I need even more help than you do. (laughs) So if you're one of these people thinking, oh no, what is God going to change me into? Can I say anything is better than we are at the moment? (laughs) So rejoice that the Lord has begun a good work in you and that he is going to carry it on. He's going to take you somewhere. And because he is the gracious Lord who gives you a new identity as saints, even though you don't deserve it, you can trust him. And while some people here might be thinking, no way, I don't want him. Others sitting here are thinking, I do want him. I just can't see him at work in me. You've been trekking along this road with the Lord Jesus for a long time and you find it difficult to see any kind of change in your life. Some of you every now and again will pluck up the courage to speak to your spouse or some friends and say, hey, hey, listen, do you actually see any change in me? Because sometimes the more you try to grow in grace, the harder it is to see it in your own life. 
And some of you are terrified that God might not fulfill his promise. But the Apostle Paul says, you can't say that about God. What God has started, he will finish. If he's called you and made you his child, then he's going to take you somewhere. Sometimes we doubt God's ability to do it. Because actually, what we are counting on is not his ability, but our own. If I'm the one who's holding on to God's hand, then I can just let go at any point. But if God has a grip on my hand, then he will never let me go. His plans always work out and they are always loving even when they don't look like they are. Even though we try to push God away or or run away or just give up on it, he keeps holding on to us. Always and forever. So Paul is confident that God is at work among the Philippines. Not because they were super strong Christians who read their Bible and prayed every day. Neither was it because they were excellent at living for Christ in amongst all the kind of pressures and difficulties of of life today. No, his confidence is is in God. Have you any idea of the value of that? You and I are encouraged day after day on the telly and in magazines to try this strategy to change your life or that strategy to change your life. So that by the end of the day, you're left with this great big list of things to do. And if you haven't done them, then they just crush you. They just take you out. And the Lord comes in and he says, I have a plan for your life that I'm going to work through in your life. So that in one year, two years, ten years time, you'll be a totally different person. And Paul sees this happening with the Philippians. The Lord is at work, lighting up the heart through the wonders of his gospel, the good news of Jesus. He takes the initiative through Christ to bring him to himself. He starts the work, he keeps it going. And yet, they are to cooperate with his work. It's wonderful, isn't it? God does the work, but we work too. Like a young son with his father, or a daughter with her mother. An apprentice with the master. God works, but we work with him. And Paul here is rejoicing in verses 7 8 because he sees the Philippians' work, his, their care and concern for him as evidence that the work, Lord is working in them. As I was preparing this, I got really, really excited. I know it probably seems like I do get a bit overexcited from time to time, but I got really excited because what Paul saw in the Philippines. I see in our church family too. Oh, you know, we're imperfect, just as they were in Philippi. But I see people in our church family who at personal cost themselves have kept going as Christians, kept going, even though at points they, it was just like treading through treacle and they just wanted to give up. I see people who've taken time out to encourage others, who've come, pitched up early in order to welcome others, who've turned up to serve even when it's been costly. People giving generously, taking seriously, wrestling in prayer, seeking God's guidance from his word. People taking the initiative to, to reach out into the community to make a difference there. People who have struggled, yes, but who keep stepping out, keep going on with the Lord. Keep stepping out in faith. God is at work here. So should we be confident that God has, what God has started, he will carry on? yes. But will we be happy with what we've got? No. No. We always want more, don't we? We should want more. 
Which is why there is a third and final thank you here. As Paul turns his mind to the work the Lord will do. Let's dive back into Philippians 1 and check out verses 9 to 11. As Paul says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What does it look like for God to carry out to completion the work he has started in us? Well, it looks like this, doesn't it? As here Paul prays that the Philippians' capacity to love might increase. That's the starting point of his prayer. That it might, their love might, verse 9, abound. And that word here has the sense of overflowing, wave upon wave, cascading like a waterfall. I stood next to a pretty impressive waterfall in the States last year. It was so powerful that just standing next to it, I got drenched uh, by, by the splashes from it, by the spray. And that's the image Paul has in his mind here, I think. He, in essence, says, I long that your love might flow in such a way that it would just kind of rush out of you, overflow from you, so that everyone around you might get soaked by the spray. But this love, though it may be impactful, is not blind. Christian love is not mindless sentimentality. No, Paul also prays that our love would grow in knowledge and depth of insight. He wants them not just to love more, but to love more wisely. And the word used here is knowledge of the things of God. So Christian love involves a thoughtful concern for the truth of God. And Paul is saying that our love will go wrong unless we also grow in knowledge. So as I grow in my understanding of the Bible, I am loving you. For as I open up God's word, I find that it is the one place in life where my self-seeking and self-justifying thoughts and deeds and desires are regularly challenged and changed. Do you ever stop to ask yourself, why am I really doing certain things? It is crucial for us to stop every 24 hours and spend time with God. Letting God examine our hearts and speak to us. That is an essential part of love abounding in us. Because our aim here is that we should be able to figure out from God's word what is excellent in life, what is best in life. And Paul says, that is ultimately what I want for you. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to figure out what is excellent, what is best in the light of? In the light of what? Verse 10. What God is going to do in the end. This wonderful, glorious day of Christ. Paul is saying that this reality is what is awaiting all of us. And it should change the way we think and we act right now. What is best will be what, what lives in keeping with the fact of that coming day. So you may have already decided what you're going to be doing tomorrow. 
for this week, you've planned that out. Or, or for this term, or, or for the next five years even. But if it hasn't taken account of the fact that one day Jesus is coming back to reign gloriously for all eternity. And on that day, you will meet him face to face. And he will look you in the eye and he will say to you, what have you done with the life that I gave you? If you don't try to work out your now in the light of that day, sadly, you're on the road to nowhere. Which is why Paul says, I just beg. I I get on my knees and I beg God every day that you, Lord, will be able to see in the light of that day what is best in life. And isn't that what we want to be praying for each other this week? There are all kinds of things that we could be praying for ourselves as individuals or as a church, aren't there? But we have to pray, please, Lord, help us to know what is best in the light of Lord Jesus' return. That's Paul's prayer for the Philippians. And it's my hope that we will follow his example and pray that for each other too. Let's do that right now. Let's pray. Well, what is best? Just let's take a moment in the silence to work out what that is. What excellent things does the Lord have for us to do tomorrow, this week, this term? Oh, Father God, we thank you that you are committed to finishing the work you have started in us, keeping us, growing us, and bringing us home to be with you forever. Keep us prayerful until that great day. And as we pray, we ask that in those we pray for, your love would abound as we pray it would in our lives too. And we ask all this for Jesus' glory.